Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And today is, who knew, there's a, there's a day for everything, right? Today is September 30th as we're recording this, and it is National Podcast Day. Didn't even know there was such a thing, but oh well, there it is. So anyway, I'm going to be asking you later on in the program to consider making a donation to support our podcast. So uh, yes, so pay attention to that when the time comes. Uh, before I introduce our guest today, I want to tell you a little story and then I'm going to read something to you. Um, you know, there are so many little fun things in our lives that can inspire us. And in December of 2016, so almost four years ago, my little grandson, Kieran, who is 10 now, uh, he was six at the time. He and his he inspired me with, with a little drawing that he did and a little fun little story. He and his mama kind of had a little, little argument about something. I don't even know what the fight was about. doesn't matter. But you know how little kid, he just kind of, whatever, he just kind of go at it. Anyway, they had a little argument about something, and Kieran later on, disappeared up in his bedroom for a while, and he drew a picture with little hearts connected, like one for each of their family members, and he wrote on there, Restore the Heart. He folded it into a little airplane, and he sailed it down the stairs to his mama (laughs) with an apology. And she got that note, and it was just the sweetest thing ever, but it didn't I do, and I love that story, first off, because, you know, just only a, only a child could come up with something so precious as a way to say I'm sorry. But it really inspired me, too, um, when after that story had happened, it was and it was right after Christmas when I wrote this, this article, and it's called Restore the Heart. And I wanted to share this with you today because I think it applies to so many of us who feel so broken at times. And so I'm just going to read it to you. I'm going to shorten it a little bit if I can, but uh, I just want to just take a couple minutes and read this. So, um, all right. So again, December 26, 2016 is when I wrote this. One of the most personally touching moments of our holiday celebration was when my husband brought home a splitting mall that he had picked up from a saw shop in town. It was one that he owned for a long time and it was broken. The handle was made of wood and it was old and brittle. It was accidentally broken by our son who used it to chop wood at our cabin. It wasn't inexpensive to repair the handle, but he did it anyway. Some people would probably shake their heads and ask, why didn't you just buy a new one? He was so excited when he walked in the door and he exclaimed, wow, they even painted the head bright red. It looked brand new. There was a great lesson in that. How quick are we to throw away something just because it's broken? It's not just talking about a broken garden tool. I'm talking about love, relationships, and friendships. Sometimes we even throw ourselves away because we can't see past the damage. We all become broken at some point in our lives. Our bodies break down, our spirits seem lost, and sometimes it can feel there's no way back. When it happens to someone we love and care about, just like my husband did with the splitting mall, what would happen if you tried your best to fix it rather than toss it in for a newer one? Sometimes broken relationships can't be fixed. They're simply too toxic. But by trying, you know you did all you could and can live without regret. When I speak at events, I remind my audience that we all survive something. It can be loss of a loved one, illness, a job, financial resources, or any other trauma. When we're in the midst of it, we can feel broken. When that happens, we need those around us to support us through the time and nurture us until we are back. When you truly care about someone and treasure them, you make the effort. If you owned the original Mona Lisa and it had a tear in the corner, wouldn't you take it to an expert like my husband did with the splitting mall and have it restored? Or would you toss it? When a woman has breast cancer, she can feel broken from head to toe. For me, my breasts were gone, my hair was gone, I was without eyelashes or eyebrows for a while. Then because of treatment, I went into early menopause from lack of estrogen. I remember feeling for a time that I was no longer a woman because I truly felt that all the things that made me a woman were gone. Some of those things returned, but not all. 
Though I know it wasn't always easy for him, my husband nurtured me through it. He helped me laugh, and though I couldn't feel any uglier, he made me feel beautiful. He helped restore me emotionally. Some things can't be restored to their exact physical sameness. The splitting mall is no longer as it was. The former handle has a beautiful, had a beautiful wood sheen that got better with age, but it had become brittle, and the metal head was natural steel, though it had gotten dull and rusty with time. My husband spent hours gently removing the rust with, with fine sandpaper, but when it finally broke, instead of throwing it out, he took it to an expert because it mattered to him. It looks different now, but it's still quite functional. When our bodies age and break down, we can't necessarily be restored to our former glory. It would be silly to try, but we can learn to look past the imperfections. We may not be the same as we once were, but we are still functional. Even without cancer, as we age, we lose certain things. Hair gets thinner, bodies get whiter. I heard that we shrink as we age, but I've come to the conclusion that we don't shrink, we melt. Everything that used to give us height is now pooling around the lower parts of our bodies. It's who we are inside that is the real deal. We just need to learn to look at ourselves and those we love with new eyes. That is true restoration. And with that, I hope you enjoyed that little moment. I have the pleasure of introducing our guest, who's actually been a guest on my show twice before. We got so involved in her program the first time that I invited her back, I think maybe even the next week to finish, because it was just such great information. And so she's back today. I have Kathy Lehman with us, and she's going to talk to us about what we should be eating. I mean, do you ever wonder what we should be eating? My guest is here for, as I said, for her third appearance. Kathy Lehman is a dietitian, a nutrition therapist, and a certified personal trainer. She's also a breast cancer survivor and the founder of Damn Mad About Breast Cancer. She's here today to help us debunk nutrition myths, facts versus fiction, and I am so glad to have her back. Welcome, Kathy. Thanks for being with my guest again today. Hi, Becky. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm honored to be back. So well, thank good. you. Well, good. You're welcome. So, Kathy, one thing I don't think I asked you last time, and I've kind of been curious about it. I guess I should probably just ask the question What is damn mad about breast cancer? I mean, I know I am, but, <laughs> <laughs> but what does it mean to you? Yeah. Uh, well, it, so it, two things. When I was initially diagnosed, I was very private about my diagnosis, but I was also enraged is a good way to put it. I just couldn't believe it. Uh, No family history, excellent health, very fit, very active, eat well, the whole thing. And it just, you know, everyone processes fear and and trauma and news like that in a different way. And it was interesting. It's still interesting to me that that was where I went was in just sort of this rage and fury. And so I felt like I needed to channel that into something more positive. And because it was the anger and the fury was becoming corrosive. And that's not the tenet that I um, that I function from. You know, that's not how I conduct myself out of rage and anger. I mean, I can get there, but that's not where I where I work from. And so I was like, this is not me. This doesn't feel good. It's it's not healthy to walk around with this much just fury. So um, outside of having my husband hang a heavy bag in our garage so I could punch the crap out of it every single day (laughs) I decided to do something with this anger and and work you know use that as action that spurred me forward and so I created damn mad about breast cancer as a blog and it's in existence as a blog and um, it's where I educate on nutrition and exercise and wellness and we can talk about that further but um, it's really kind of the the initiative if you will behind my my focus on working with the breast cancer community to help them be as healthy as they can be. Good. So we can all get ourselves restored, right? That's right. that's a good thing. Right. So Kathy, have you always been into healthy eating? I mean, I look at your photo, you're very slim and beautiful and you look like you've probably just always been that person that has always eaten right, always taken care of yourself. But is that is that who you who you always have been or did that change after your cancer diagnosis? Ooh, that's a, okay, so that's an interesting observation. Thank you. That's my professional headshot. So, you know, they make those look We know how those go. (laughs) I don't look like that every single day. But anyway, so, but thank you for that. Um, So I've been a dietitian for over, just a little bit over 20 years. And 
And before that, I was very interested in the field of nutrition, but I was not credentialed. I did not have a degree. I was not a registered dietitian. I just, I was, I've always been interested in taking care of my health through nutrition and exercise. And I was very active in high school. I was on the dance team. I ran track. Um, you know, I lived on 10 acres, grew up on 10 acres. So we were always outside and very active. And I come from a naturally lean family. We can't discount genetics. That is a very strong component in every piece of our health. So there's yeah, that. Our family people. missed that that one. We were right. right line. <laughs> yeah. So when people talk about, you know, stature or someone's shape or body image, I mean, that's, you know, you, you've got to look at the big picture. So I, I always make sure that that's not discounted. But that be that as it may, you still, you know, you're given what you're given and you've, you've it's up to you to take care of it. It may surprise you and other people to hear that I went through a stint where I was a smoker um, for a few years. It was kind of like an after high school rebellion thing is what we do in our early 20s, right? Late teens, um, you know, kind of lived on my own for the first time, moved to Chicago and was not eating. You know, my mom wasn't around to cook for me, so I was not eating as well as I should have. That was the phase that, you know, people rebel in lots of sort of ways. But anyway, but after that, I mean, I've but I still ran and I was still interested in in food and the way it worked in our body. And so, you know, as I, after I became a dietitian, obviously, I my personal philosophy as well as my professional philosophy is prevention, risk reduction, wellness. So you can see where part of the rage came with my diagnosis. It was not I was diagnosed then decided to change my lifestyle. That's always, with the exception of that little blip, it's always been my <laughs> philosophy. Well, that that's good. And, you know, I, I wish I could make that same claim. I mean, I have... I love black licorice. What can I say? I don't know. <laughs> you know? It's not cocaine. It's black licorice. It's <laughs> That's okay. True. It's legal. That's true. <laughs> and fine. I know one serving is three pieces of that. So I can do three and then I can do three more because I know what I know how to count that. But anyway. <laughs> um, okay, so let me ask you this question because you know, like you a lot of us do try to make changes in our lifestyle after we get a cancer diagnosis you know we we start thinking about so what might have caused this is it too much of this too much of that but there is so much misinformation that just seems to run rampant through this breast cancer community and why why is it why does that happen and why are there so many myths that kind of surround all this that just they just refuse to die. I don't, you know, what's real and what isn't? I mean, it's a big conversation and we might not get through it in this next this first segment, but we'll pick it up if we run out of time. So um, so let's talk about that. Why why so much misinformation and, and why in, in the breast cancer community, it seems like in particular? Yeah, so definitely it is a big topic and we could talk about even just this question that you have right now for a very long time but let, we'll see how much we can get through but to your point there is so much rampant misinformation and myths and conflicting information and one of the things that i found in, as i started after my diagnosis and i started to look at how can i work in this community to help how can i serve with my experience and my expertise where would i most be beneficial and and impactful and i find that this thread of nutrition myths in the breast cancer community is it is definitely something that i am um, committed to to addressing because it, it confuses women and it makes them frustrated and then they don't really know what to do so sometimes they do nothing but the reason why i have a few thoughts on why i think that is so you know, behind every nutrition myth there's a kernel of truth it's like between behind every gossip or every um lie there's a kernel of truth usually yeah, not every that makes lie, sense mm-hmm. <laughs> right and so the myths and the myths misinformation they're much more interesting than the truth you know, we as dietitians, we are used to people rolling their eyeballs and going, yeah, 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 eat you know, fruits and vegetables, lean meats, don't eat too much, move more, drink lots of water, get your sleep. They're like, yeah, yeah, what else you got? <laughs> we ain't got anything else. I mean, at this point, there is no magic bullet. There's no magic pill. It's, it's, it's bigger. It, you know, it, it's bigger than that. It is taking control of your health. It's taking responsibility for it. It's figuring out what you value, making that important, and then making the decisions on a sometimes hour to hour basis that keep you moving along that path. But that's boring. So there's that piece. 
Also, doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals, they're taught very little, if anything, about nutrition. And they're, they share well-intentioned, but potentially or perhaps outdated or blatantly incorrect information about nutrition and diet. I know my oncologist, you know, she's in charge of my medication, my side effects, all those sorts. She is not in charge of my nutrition. And they don't want to be. Uh, and that's the other side is, you know, there's a lack of confidence in nutrition knowledge may prevent some physicians from effectively providing nutrition mm. education. So that if you ask sense. your oncologist, what should I eat? And they say, it doesn't matter what you eat. It's not important. Or they'll say, there's no connection or there's no diet proven, all of which have some kernel of truth, but it is not completely accurate, if that if that makes sense. And it's very black and it white. It does, yeah. Shot, right, it, like no more discussion. Yeah, and when you it hear does, it from it your oncologist, you, you hear it as truth, as gospel. So, you know, what my doctor said is, that's quote unquote, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, it's like, okay. Um, yeah, no, that does make sense. I remember one time a long time ago talking to a, and we are going to go out to break here in a minute, but um, I remember one time talking to a, a woman who had been diagnosed with cancer and I didn't meet her. We just talked to her on the phone and she was so upset because she was absolutely convinced that her diet soda is what caused her cancer. And not that anybody told her that, but I think because when we have cancer, we want to try to find a reason. Yes. And so we pick out the one thing that we do that we probably shouldn't do so much of, and we blame it on that thing. I mean, I don't know if that's normal, but that's certainly what, what she was doing, was blaming it on that one thing. And when we tried to explain that, you know, it, Maybe it was that, but maybe it wasn't because we just don't, we don't know. She got very angry with us um, because we didn't defend her position that it was the diet soda. And I don't know, <laughs> I you know, maybe we should have just agreed with her so she'd stop drinking so much of it. But um, but I think that's part of it. You know, I, I don't know for sure. But, but we'll, we'll just talk about that more on the other side of the break. So we're going to go ahead and take a short break. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to our program. And again, before we um, bring our guest back on, just a reminder, four ways to be involved in our show. One is to share the link to this program, and this is such good information. If you know anyone who is battling breast cancer right now, please send them the link to this show so that they can go back and listen to it because it's great information. Um, You can also, as I said, I was going to ask you for a donation. Um, You can go text text to b to i'm sorry text to 41444 the the phrase bf radio stands for breast friends radio and that will launch a link that will allow you to make a donation we don't charge our guests to be on our show we don't have a subscription fee but this show does cost us money to produce so please consider making a donation so we can keep it going and then also on facebook we have a group called um, breast friends around the globe it's a group page Please go on to that page, ask to be uh, to be accepted as a member, which I do very quickly, and then you can comment, you can talk about show, you know shows that you've listened to, and you know just share ideas and and tell us who you are when you join. So because you might have somebody right there down the street from you, you just never know. And then also nominate yourself as a guest um, to be on the show because I'm always looking for inspirational or educational guests that can teach our audience m- members something and. Kathy is a great example of the, the quality of presenters that we're looking for. So so please um, consider those things. And now on with our show. So, Kathy, we were just talking about the the misinformation around cancer, you know, around diet and all that when you have cancer. So I know you had a couple more thoughts on that. I'm going to let you share those. Yes. So uh, why the myths continue to live on. So two more points. One is that some research suggests that physician training may bias them against the studies that show the power of dietary approaches to managing disease. And that can be very, um, it can work against what the research is trying to communicate to these healthcare professionals, because, you know, we're discovering more about nutrition and dietary influence and manipulation, meaning manipulating your diet for um, disease management every single day. And so I think that's an important point to consider. And then finally, the goal of science, true hardcore science, and I always say, I might have said this on this program before, nutrition is a science, it's not an opinion. You can have an opinion about broccoli, but that's not the same as the science behind broccoli. There are two mm-hmm. different things, and I always like to remind people of that distinction because their nutrition is a science. Um, so the goal of that is to continually discover and learn. Science is not definitive. And that can lead to changes in messaging over times, over time and recommendations. So if we're if we let's say we find something in the research about sugar and cancer that is new or different from what we've been following most recently. Um, it doesn't mean that the other messages were wrong. It just means that now we have additional data and how do we connect those and then learn from the new. And then we're not they're not always identified or adopted in a timely manner, those new messages. So let's say there is a change in the recommendations for sugar, such as we've finally determined how much everyone should eat on a daily basis and what sources and what it does and all those things. But if not every healthcare professional, oncologist or nurse or whoever doesn't get that messaging or that information, then then you don't get that as a patient. That so, makes sense. They're living yeah. on, they're they're repeating old information that they might have learned back when they were in school and it's been, you know, twenty years or so and they're still they're still sharing that piece of information. So yeah, that makes that makes sense because mm-hmm. new things do get discovered. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay. And yeah, so let, let me ask you this question. What, what is the appeal of nutritional fairy tales? I love the phrase that you use, nutritional fairy tales. And is that all connected to what we were just talking about? Or is it something else? It is. No, it's not anything else. It's that there's, you know, myths and information like fairy tales are interesting and they are um, they're, they're softer sometimes than the, than the truth. The truth can be harsh. And if you hear, to your point about the woman with the the diet pop, you know, I see this every single day. Oh, I ate cheese so that I know cheese has hormones. So that must have given me my cancer. I grew up in Wisconsin. I grew up eating cheese. That's what drove the cancer or whatever the food is, you know, that that can be comforting in some way because like you said you, you want to find the reason you want to connect it and we mm-hmm. just don't have that 
we don't have it. And so, you know, fairy tales take us out of our reality and myths take us out of our reality. And sometimes we look for myths. It's called cognitive bias. We look for myths or information that aligns with our own belief. So if you believe that the cheese caused your breast cancer, you can find plenty of information out there to support that. However, that is so true, isn't but it? But it doesn't make it true. <laughs> and it doesn't make it accurate, and nor does it make it um, fact. So that is that's such right? a true statement. I I, yeah. I totally it, it's almost like that same thing when you buy a car, if you buy a new car, all of a sudden everywhere you look on the road you see the same car. So when you hear a piece of information that you think is right, all of a sudden you're going to hear more and more and more about that and everywhere you look you're it's going to be confirmed to you, which yeah. you know, I mean it's 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 a weird thing. So okay, so there's a lot of advice being given around out there. Good stuff, bad stuff. How do we tell the difference so that we can sort out what's, what is real and what isn't real? How do we tell good advice from bad so we can eat to thrive? Yes, great question. So I have a, a few points to share on that that people can really, they're very specific. And I, and I think these will be so helpful. So number one is, so be attuned to the following regarding nutritional guidance and messages. Because as we were just saying, you will hear, there's not a day that goes by where you don't see something on social media or in the newspaper or an online reading where it says, don't eat this food or eat this food or this food cures cancer or stay away from this or this is toxic or this is dangerous, whatever that may be, right? So if you use these four points, this will help you. So look for something that is sensible versus sensational. Sensationalism sells and gets your attention. It's clickbait, but and it's much more sexy than sensible, right? Eat fruits and vegetables, drink water, get enough sleep is sensible. You know, drink alkaline water, eat only organic pomegranate that's come from a certain area of the country. That's sensational and much more sexy. Okay, Num- that makes right? sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, number two, be attuned to evidence versus belief. And this aligns with what we were just discussing. If you believe, someone says, well, I believe that uh, cheese is not good for you. Cheese is bad. That's a belief, right? It's not Mm -hmm. evidence-based. So what's the evidence that shows us that cheese, I'm picking on cheese, sorry, cheese. (laughs) But what's the the evidence that shows us that cheese is quote-unquote bad if someone makes that statement? Show me the science. Number three. Listen for messages that talk about creating behavior changes versus just do this one thing. And I often will see if you just eat this food or you just stay away from this or you just follow this one thing, that will prevent your cancer from coming back. It will make you lose weight. It will make you healthier. It will make your breast cancer not you know, return or whatever it may be. That's not true. Behavior change over time and habit change is what's beneficial but again that's not very sexy you know I I have to just say something to that on Facebook I can't say how many times when I'm just you know on Facebook reading my friends posts that this post will pop up there are different ones but they all kind of say the same thing do this one thing and add 20 years to your life yeah Okay, you know, I, I I actually clicked on a couple of those, and what it does is it goes into like a 20-minute video with a sales pitch at the end of it, and maybe even more than 20 minutes, maybe, you know, 40 or 50 minutes with a sales pitch at the end of it, and they're trying to sell, you know, something, one thing, and so I don't do those anymore. I felt like I got suckered into just doing that, and so it, ha- it, com- it hits us from all kinds of places. We just com- get bombarded with, do this one thing, and mm-hmm. your life will be forever different. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, reduce risk versus a guarantee. So what that means is when I educate, when I speak, when I write, when I work with clients one-on-one, whatever it is, my language that I use is very mm-hmm. intentional. Never, I don't use never often, but never will you hear me say, this will prevent your breast cancer from coming back. This will reduce your risk of recurrence. We don't have that sort of data. 
we use, I use the word, this may reduce risk. This may benefit you in terms of preventive strategies, but we do not have absolutes. So if someone says, I guarantee if you eat this way, whatever this way is, this will reduce your risk of recurrence or prevent your breast cancer. We do not have it. So those are two very opposites. And so if you take those four pieces, sensible versus sensational, evidence versus belief, create behavior change versus just do this one thing and reduce risk versus guarantee. If you keep those in mind and then learn to rely on trustworthy resources, ferreting out the trustworthy resources is one of the challenges, I would say. But when you find those trustworthy resources, hang on to them and follow them because they, you know, they can guide you appropriately. And then beware of all or nothing messaging. Again, it's that black or white no, there's no diet that will help. Yes, there's this perfect diet that will help. Those are all or nothing. And then finally, consider the professional background, the training, and the credibility of the individual who's sharing the information. I mean, just because you eat doesn't make you an expert in nutrition. <laughs> I'm going to say this. And I'm, on I'm sorry, I have to laugh at that. I know, right? Because I've been doing this a long time. And I, I see this often, and especially now with social media, um, you know, there's a lot of quote unquote um, nutrition information that it, well not quote unquote a lot of nutrition information from quote unquote nutrition experts or certified nutrition this or holistic nutrition that and again you can read a book on nutrition and proclaim yourself a quote unquote nutritionist you can have breast cancer and change your diet and have some benefit from that maybe you lose weight or but that doesn't make you an expert in that information and sharing that with someone else doesn't mean that it will work for someone else. And right. we're all different. Work for, work for me, maybe not for you. Yeah, that, right. that makes sense. Right. That makes sense. So, yeah. so you, you've identified eight common cancer nutrition myths. Can you share what those are and tell us the facts behind each one? Yes, I will share what they are. I'm thinking in our time together, we won't get through all of them with the, all the facts, but yeah, might have to have you back next week then. <laughs> I'd be happy Did to do this that. before. <laughs> yeah. So let's just start with what those eight common myths are. And again, this okay. is from me really, I'm in a couple of private Facebook groups. And again, I, I blog for the breast cancer community. I have a lot of exchanges via email and I speak to them. I mean, this is the world I have immersed myself in. <clears throat> Pardon me. And these are the eight that I see that are most common. Okay. So there are myths around dairy, soy, alcohol, organics, alkaline diets, phytoestrogens, intermittent fasting, and special diets, quote unquote, special diets, such as keto or vegan. And within those, there is just a boatload of detail and facts and information, I, you know, on, on each. And obviously, we don't have time to go into all of that. But I, we can do this any way you'd like. I can share with you the claims about these individual myths, and we can talk a little bit about that, or we could go into more detail. You, what works for you? Let's let's go through each one. I mean, you know, if, if people miss something, they can always hit the replay button and dial it back and listen again. So, so let's just go through them because, especially, I mean, when I, I hear soy, soy's a big one for women who are who have estrogen positive cancer which is the most common type of cancer is cancer that feeds on estrogen the soy question is a huge question for all of us including me yes to soy no to soy um, so there's just there's a lot with that one and dairy and alcohol you kind of mentioned you know the, the the big ones right up front and these are ones that we hear all the time as being contributing factors or not contributing factors, which is it? So, um, oops, I'm, can you guys hear me still? Yes. Okay, good. My headset just did something weird. Okay. All right. <laughs> loud good. And clear. Good. Okay. All right. So let's just go through them one at a time and see, and just, so maybe start with dairy. Yeah, let's start with dairy. So the claim is that dairy foods, and here's that cheese again. So dairy foods cause breast cancer because of added hormones. Now, there are many compounds in dairy products. There's calcium, there's casein, there's fat, there's lactose. And so when you think about the way that we study nutrition and disease, um, you know, understanding the role of diet and nutrition in breast cancer to help support optimal outcomes. And um, you know, we don't, we eat food, we don't eat individual 
nutrients. Like we don't just eat calcium or we don't just eat fat. We, we have to look at what's called the synergy of the whole food. So if you eat a piece of cheese, you'll get calcium from that cheese. You'll get protein. You will get fat. Different. You won't get fat. You will eat fat. Right. <laughs> and, you'll get, and there are different types of fat. Um, you know, in different foods, you don't just, you're not just eating calcium as if in you take a supplement. So we have to look at the whole of how that food works on our body at the cellular level. This is where nutrition works. This is what the definition of nutrition is, is how it impacts us at the cellular level in terms of physiology and health and disease, which is different from the diet. You know, the diet is what you eat on a regular basis. Maybe you eat a diet that includes dairy. Maybe you eat a diet that um, you avoid dairy because you have a lactose intolerance or an allergy or something like that. So those are two distinctions there. But um, this, so there are the American Institute for Cancer Research and the World Cancer Research Fund, their continuous update project, they come out with a report, an expert report every so many years. And this is used in making recommendations for overall cancer prevention. And currently, the guidelines are to use these recommendations for prevention for those of us as survivors, because we don't have specific concrete detail for survivorship at this point. I mean, that's coming and it's ongoing. But if But what they have found in their research is that there is limiting limited evidence regarding um, dairy in terms of its impact. It's got limited suggesting evidence, which is, means it's inadequate to permit a judgment of a probable or convincing causal protective relationship. But it's suggestive of a direction of effect. So what it means is this doesn't justify making any strong recommendations for or against dairy. Having said okay. that, hormones are not added to dairy. These are some things to consider. Um, they're not added to the dairy. What is often added to dairy is something called recombinant bovine growth hormone. And that is, that's a type of, it's given to the cow. It's not giving to the dairy product. All right. Okay. You can, you can buy uh, dairy products without the addition of RGBH. You don't, you don't have to buy food with that. But um, we also have to look at, the variety of animal feed that may or may not contribute to the final product, which may in turn impact the way dairy foods work in our body. Different animals produce different milks, which produce a wide variety of liquid and solid products. I mean, there's liquid dairy and there's solid dairy. You know, there's yogurt, there's milk, there's cottage cheese, there's kefir, there's cream and sour cream and butter and cheese. All Do all of these work the same way in the body in terms of um, health and disease. We, we don't know that for sure. Um, premenopausal and postmenopausal evidence. I mean, outlining separate findings for those two um, populations is really important in everything that we look at for foods. And so um, we, we can't discount that as well. When we look at um, insulin-like growth factor, Let's talk about that for a second, just to kind of, because we could, I could talk about this for a long time and I don't want to extend it too much, but insulin, insulin-like growth factor, you, you might see it written out as IGF-1. This is common if you're looking in the um, research or just even in media writings. So it's a natural hormone that's produced in the body by humans and animals. And the milk from cows treated with this recombinant bovine growth hormone have higher levels of insulin-like growth factor hormone. All right. And several studies have found that IGF-1 levels at the high end of the normal range may influence the development of, super, of certain tumors. And some early studies found a relationship between blood levels of IGF-1 and the development of breast cancer. But later studies have failed to confirm these reports mm. or they've found weaker relationships. So to date, there's no definitive evidence that IGF-1 causes breast cancer, and that source is from the American Cancer Society. And so given all of that, this is what, if I can just take an aside here, this is what frustrates people. What they just heard me say is, okay, so there's this hormone that's given to cows, which may elevate or can elevate these hormone levels, IGF-1, which is a growth factor hormone in the product, but it may or may not be harmful. So what do we do? So there's still confusion. 
So what I say to this is, you know, I follow the science, particularly of those two organizations that I mentioned who, you know, this is their work. They look at physical activity and dietary and nutritional choices and the impact of cancer for prevention and then ongoing for survivorship. And where they're at is we don't have any strong enough data to make one or the other um, prediction. So I say, if you enjoy dairy, it's okay to eat it. You can buy dairy without the RGBH added um, and know that it's possible to find brands that satisfy your cancer related concerns like that. And if you're lactose intolerant or you have a milk allergy or you don't like dairy, it's not necessary to include it in your diet. And you've also got to look at the volume. If you have a little bit of ice cream every now and again, or a little bit of butter here and there, or you, you like cheese, but you don't eat it every day, we have to consider that as well. One bite or one serving of anything does not cause cancer. And so yeah, that's, that, that's really good thing, advice. Right? So, so basically what I, what I heard you just say is if for some reason, after hearing everything you just said, if you still have concerns about the, the growth hormones that are fed to cows, buy milk that doesn't have that. And then you don't have to worry about it. There's there's no, just we can make our own choices on that. But just you know, again, anything in moderation. Um, so that that makes that makes pretty good sense to me. You know, that's a pretty easy one. Can okay. we switch gears and go to soy yeah. because soy is yeah. a that's a really controversial one that we hear all the time. <laughs> yeah, it is very controversial, and and that's because soy is one of those. Um, lingering myths that years ago, when we looked at the research, we looked at a lot of laboratory studies and animal studies. And that doesn't always translate, well, not always, it does not translate to human studies. And so as time has gone on, and we've had new studies, and we've found new information, that is slow to be disseminated. And so here's the claim for soy, which you you touched on it previously, that soy has estrogen, So it should be avoided with estrogen and progesterone positive breast cancer. And soy causes breast cancer. That's the claim that I see most often. So the controversy around soy is due to one of its phytochemicals, which is an isoflavone. And misunderstanding the differences between human estrogen and plant isoflavones, which are natural plant compounds found in soy foods, has led to many false assumptions. That's where we've really gotten off off track. So human estrogen that we produce, it's called endogenous estrogen. What you produce in your body is naturally is called endogenous. So human, the endogenous estrogen and plant estrogens or phytoestrogens as they're called, which in soy, the soy trend, you know, the soy phytoestrogen is called isoflavone. They share a very similar chemical structure but they function and bind to your body's natural estrogen receptors differently. So you have receptors in your body for hormones. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they compete, these plant estrogens and human estrogens. So research has determined that rodents metabolize isoflavones differently than humans. We're not rodents, right? So the That's way, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, right? So earlier studies showing soy isoflavones encourage the growth of estrogen receptor positive breast cancer in mice relate to mice having higher blood levels than would result from humans eating soy foods. So that's the distinction that you could take. I mean, that could be produced as a, as a research finding and then that gets leaked out into shared with the press and it gets con, you know distorted and confused that oh my gosh this is where that happens is that it's dangerous but that's a really important distinction there um, yeah. also different kinds of estrogen receptors in our body are present in different parts of our body and the activation or the turning on of some receptors seems to promote cell growth but studies suggest that isoflavones more often bind to estrogen receptors with other effects, potentially acting as a tumor suppressor. And so let, let me ask yeah. you this one question. Does it, does it matter or does it make a difference if in the type of, of soy or estrogen or whatever, if it's a, a natural, like a soybean whole product versus a bar, some kind of a breakfast bar or something that's got soy in it? Yeah. Is there is there a difference in the way your body will treat that kind of soy? Well, what what we look at 
in, and I'll talk about this as I go on a little further, but this phytoestrogen, so there's a difference between eating a soy product. So to your point, a whole soy product is what I advocate for. Soy milk, tofu, tempeh, edamame, those are whole natural soy bean products. Mm-hmm. Soy isoflavones or fractionated soy or different types or soy supplements, those are not whole soy foods. And there's even a little bit of, um, I don't want to say disagreement, but there's not an alignment in the research about the impact of those. What I used to read in the research was stay away from those because those can give you higher, quote unquote, dosages of isoflavone than you would get in naturally occurring foods. Now I've seen a little bit of research that says that may not be true because even at those levels, it's not high enough to be detrimental or problematic. So my position on that, so taking the science into effect and saying, well, we don't have a definitive answer on that yet because we don't have any um, definitive outcomes from, you know, gold standard research on those soy isoflavone supplements and such. I still recommend sticking with the whole food most of the time. But I think, again, you've got to remember there's a difference between having if you're in a pinch and you're at an airport, well, you wouldn't be at an airport right now, but when we're at airports again and you need something to eat, <laughs> all you can find is an energy bar with um, soy flour or soy, whatever soy in it. Um, and that's, and you eat that once a month or once every two months, that is not, it's not detrimental to your health. So you've, and we don't, in this country, we don't naturally eat soy products even on a regular basis. We and don't. so what the research looks at is there's a difference between eating Um, saying how many servings of soy foods should you have a day and how much soy isoflavones, what level of isoflavones is safe. And those are two different things. You eat soy products and you get an amount of isoflavone in your body. You're consuming an amount of isoflavone. And now what the research is showing is that high dosages of isoflavones, which would mean, you know, more than half a cup, more than 100 grams of isoflavones in a day, which is significant. No, most people don't eat that much soy yeah. um, in this country. You know, that that's not something that's recommended, but at lower serving sizes, say, you know, two servings a day, you know, mm-hmm. like a cup of soy milk and maybe a half a cup of edamame or tofu or tempeh, that is, has been shown to be a safe recommendation. Um, so those are two, those are distinct differences there. But there's growing evidence that eating these traditional whole soy foods uh, that I mentioned um, may lower the risk of breast cancer. And that's lower the risk of initial diagnosis. But we are looking, you know, you and I are interested in, as are a lot of your listeners, to um, recurrence. And so there's emerging research also that links whole soy food consumption with a greater variety of health-promoting bacteria in our gut microbiome which is really, that's critical and integral for overall health. And then one of the things that, um, that is positive, angiogenesis is the formation of new blood vessels in the body. And in breast cancer, all cancers really, tumor growth and metastasis depend on angiogenesis, these new blood vessels, which give a new source of nutrition and energy to the tumor. And some studies are suggesting that soy isoflavones exert anti-angiogenic properties, although the mechanism by which it happens isn't clear yet. But so there's still, you know, research is ongoing, but I I eat soy. I mean, there's my personal disclaimer. I, I don't eat soy every day because it's just not, I mean, not that I don't enjoy it. I just do different recipes and not every recipe calls for soy. But um, the health benefits of what I've read in the research, to me, I'm comfortable with including it in my diet on a regular basis, which means typically weekly or every two weeks, it's in my diet somewhere. Um, and I had estrogen and progesterone positive um, breast cancer as well. And so, you know, so well, I, and I would say soy milk on a daily basis. I put it in my coffee. I put it in my matcha tea, um, which again, how much? It's not a lot, but that's a daily basis. I'll use it there. But I'm not eating five cups of tofu every day either I mean that's well uh, yeah I'm glad we have I'm glad we're having this conversation because years ago excuse me I volunteered to work at a race a a woman's fire I guess it was male and female 5k and my job was to hand out snacks at the end of the of the race and it was boxes we had 
cases and cases of this soy product um, bar, like a energy bar with with some soy in it. And soy was way down the list, but it was on the it was on the packaging. And I remember a woman reading that, and she got so angry at me personally, it sounded like. She goes, why would you give me something that's going to kill me? And she oh. threw it on the ground, the bar, just threw it on the ground. And I felt terrible because I hadn't read the ingredients. I didn't know what it was. And I thought, man, is she right? You know, and this was years ago. I didn't know if she was right or not. I mean, I just, and that's kind of always been in the back of my brain, sort of haunting me a little bit. So, um, so yeah, you know, Kathy, we're going to have to have you back because we have, we have about two to three minutes left. So let's touch on one thing yeah. and, and move on. And then we may have to have you come back to finish the list of eight because you got a lot of good information. So alcohol, give me the quick one. Yes, oh. no, red wine, no wine. Something yeah. other than wine. <laughs> like, yeah. what's the, what what so, does science say? So quickly, the claim is that alcohol changes the estrogen in your body. This is what I've seen people actually say. And, and it does not change the estrogen. It raises the circulating level of estrogen in your body. And higher levels of endogenous made in your body estrogen are a particular concern for women like us with estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. And so um, the bottom line, to make it quick and not go into even the details, is that there is a connection and association between alcohol consumption and increased risk of recurrence and of an initial diagnosis. Even small amounts of alcohol raise estrogen levels. And it doesn't matter what the type of alcohol is, wine, beer, you know, spirits, red wine, white wine, rosé wine, because they all contain ethanol. And ethanol is what appears to cause the damage. And that's the main active ingredient in all types of alcoholic beverages. And so, you know, what I recommend, this is a, this is a personal decision for, for women. There is a, a, a very strong um, connection there. And I stopped drinking red wine and I adore red wine, but I, I stopped drinking anything alcoholic and maybe three years ago. I don't know. It just kind of faded away. It wasn't like I woke up one day and said, that's it. I'm never drinking again. But I had been reading the research and I, I say, you know, I love, love red wine, but I have a very strong aversion to breast cancer. Yeah, so to I, me, I hear you it, there. <laughs> you know, it was a no brainer. And I'm yeah. not going to have a glass of wine every three weeks or once a month because I will, my tolerance is in the toilet. So I would probably feel horrible the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so Kathy, I'm, we're, we're out of time, honey. We are yeah. out of time. I hate yeah. to say that, but. But I'm looking at my calendar, and I'm going to get you back right away. So stay on the line with me when we're done. But I want to thank you so much for being on the show with me today. This, this is such good information. I promise I'll make a shorter intro next time so you have more time to talk. <sighs> but with that, we will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There's always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.